We're continuing in our Blessed to be a Blessing sermon series. Jeff regularly highlights that in the opening, so we're thankful to be going through some Old Testament and New Testament characters in the Bible. And today we're looking at Solomon, more formally known as King Solomon. And if you brought your Bible or you have your Bible app, if you'd take it out and open to 2 Chronicles chapter 9, verses 13 through 28, I'll be reading it in a moment. And as we're going through this on, ongoing sermon series, Pastor Brian has prepared this for us very well. He laid this out in detail throughout every week, so we're thankful to have that information to guide us. Also, the Discover Your Gifts, if you haven't picked up one of those books or you're new today and want to pick one up, there's free ones still available at the welcome table. Uh, also, it's appropriate that we're looking at King Solomon today. We're looking at the financial gifts if you're going through the workbook in your life group. So we're looking at financial gifts. And King Solomon, he had some change in his pocket. He was a pretty wealthy guy. Even by today's standards, he was a pretty wealthy guy. So I want to read our scripture focus text today from Second Chronicles, starting in chapter 9, verse 13. The weight of the gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents, not including the revenues brought in by merchants and traders. Also, all the kings of Arabia and the governors of the territories brought gold and silver to Solomon. King Solomon made 200 large shields of hammered gold. 600 shekels of hammered gold went into each shield. And he also made 300 small shields of hammered gold with 300 shekels of gold in each shield. The king put them in the palace of the forest of Lebanon. Then the king made a great throne covered with ivory and overlaid with pure gold. The throne that had six steps and a footstool of gold was attached to it. On both sides of the seat were armrest with a lion standing beside each of them. Twelve lions stood on the six steps, one at either end of each step. Nothing like it had ever been made for any other kingdom. All King Solomon's goblets were gold, and all the household articles of the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. Nothing was made of silver, because silver was considered of little value in Solomon's day. The king had a fleet of trading ships manned by Hiram's servants. Once every three years it returned, carrying gold, silver, ivory, and apes and baboons. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. All the kings of the earth saw audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone who came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold and robes and weapons and spices and horses and mules. Solomon had 4,000 stalls for horses and chariots and 12,000 horses which he kept in the chariot cities and also with him in Jerusalem. He ruled over all the kings from the Euphrates River to the land of the Philistines as far as the border of Egypt. The king made silver as common in Jerusalem as stones and cedar as plentiful as sycamore fig trees in the foothills. Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from all other countries. 
This ends a reading of God's word. We're going to get focused to much of what we just read, but there are so many things there. And I bet some of the words probably jumped out at you and you'll remember them as I walk through some of them. Some of the words that may have jumped out at you, gold, 666 talents, throne, lion, what about ships, apes, baboons, wisdom, so much to talk about and so little time. This is a shorter sermon than you may have expected or that Dan had expected apparently. <laughs> so let's dig in. <laughs> We're blessed to have God's word to dig into. I pray you're doing that every day that you take time for devotions. I have multiple online devotions that I do, and I'm very thankful for that. Some of them talk to me, some of them I have to actually read, but we should be digging into God's word well beyond Sunday morning so we understand it and can live it out. So the first thing I wanna look at is the weight of gold that Solomon received yearly was 666 talents. Gold was of great value then, it still is today. But this is just the gold that he received annually, like uh, an annual bonus, a paycheck per se, let alone all the other items, gold included, that he got from all the people that would come and visit him. 666 talents of gold. Now gold is a big part of the Bible, if you weren't aware of that. Genesis chapter two, verse 11 shares, the name of the first river is the Pishon River. It winds through the entire land of Havilah where there is gold. So right in chapter two, right in the part, bigger part of the creation story, we see gold mentioned right away. So it must be important to God or he wouldn't have mentioned it right away and many more times as we'll hear as well. So gold is early on in the creation, but of course, then we have the fall of man. And between Genesis chapter 2 and the book of Revelation chapter 21, we read how gold is not always used to glorify God. In Genesis chapter 12, verse 35, we read of how the Egyptians were so uh, desiring to get rid of the Israelites, they actually gave them gold as they were leaving. That, you'd think, would be a good thing, right? Get a pocket full of gold, leave town, go on your way. But then in Exodus chapter 32, we find they probably took some of that gold and formed a golden calf to worship. So gold can be good and bad. Another Old Testament book, the prophetic book of Daniel chapter three, we read how King Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold and forced people to worship it. Few chapters following the golden calf catastrophe I mentioned a moment ago in chap chapter 35 of Exodus, filled with the Spirit of God, with wisdom, with understanding, with knowledge, and with all kinds of skills to make artistic designs for work in gold, silver, bronze, to cut stones, to set stones, to work in the wood, and engage in all kinds of artistic craft. Bezalel was given the ability to use his gifts to teach others to in, uh, inspire their gifts in order to build the temple and all that was in it. So again, we go back to gold being good in that setting. That's a positive thing. These tradesmen were using it in service to God for the construction of the temple. Keeping with the theme of gold for a little while longer, after the birth of Jesus, the wise men brought gifts of 
frankincense, and myrrh. But gold is first, right? Has a priority. So even in the time of Jesus, past the kings of the great kings of Israel, we have this mention of gold being brought into Jesus. So Jesus has this blessing of these gifts early on. Again, gold can be used to glorify God or to build golden calves. It can be used as a blessing or as a commandment breaker. There's a variety of ways gold is used in the Old and the New Testament. What we can acknowledge, though, is that gold can lift up, be lifted up to glorify God. And gold in this 21st century, unfortunately, like it has been in centuries past, can also be used to demonize things, to make our own idols out of our own riches. And I'm not looking that everybody has gold coins in their pockets, but gold can be an image for us today in the 21st century of financial wealth. Gold is mentioned more than 400 times in the Bible, so it has to have value to God. And as I said, some of it positive, some of it negative. Some of it doesn't build up God, but some of it does glorify Jesus the Christ. All right, back to our 60, 666 talents of gold. In biblical weight, a talent is about 130 pounds. So 666 times 130 equals 86,580 pounds of gold. That's a lot of gold. It would be valued at about $2.4 billion. So King Solomon was given that annually to do what he was called to do. Uh, by the way, there's uh, currently $7 trillion in gold in Fort Knox Vault, which, by the way, is in Kentucky, if you weren't aware of that. It's where the country, our gold wealth, is stored. It's interesting to note when we see this number 666, hardly any of you probably thought of 666 talents. Because most oftentimes when Christians hear 666, we think of the mark of the beast found in the book of Revelation. This 666 has a, a, a almost a frightening thing. Let me tell you a personal story. Sarah and I had moved to Arizona, so we needed to get a new bank and a safe deposit box. And I went into the bank, not really paying attention. This is before I was a Bible reader, learning about God and all of that. Went into the bank, said I needed a safe deposit box. They gave me a little envelope with a couple keys in it. I brought it home, I threw it on the counter, went about my day, but my wife, Sarah, the smarter one of us too, obviously, sees it and says, take it back. What? The box number? 666. So I took it back because I'm a good husband, explained to the lady why I was doing it. She didn't believe me. I went home and got a Bible, highlighted Revelation 13, brought it back to them, and she read it and she said, can I make a copy of it? And she went over to the Xerox machine. For those of you who don't know, a Xerox machine is a copier. So we used to, back in the day, you may remember, we called them Xerox machines. Well, anyways, she went over to the copier, and a group of people gathered around, and they're looking over their shoulder at me, and I'm like, what's going on? While they were making a copy of this page of the Bible, the machine broke down. And they thought that was a little freaky. 
And I was like, well, that's just the devil trying to get into your life. But, but anyway, 666 has a, has a hang-up for many people. 666 is actually mentioned just four times in the Bible. The one that we're looking at today, 2 Chronicles chapter 9, Ezra chapter 2, as well as Revelations chapter 13 and 20. So I have a question for you. If you had 666 talents of gold, how would you use them to glorify God today? Probably a better question is, how are you using your financial gifts, your stewardship gifts, to glorify God today? How are you using the resources that he's blessed you with that you may have earned over decades of time? How are you using them to glorify God? If that's a challenge for you, I would encourage you to take time this summer. Study it. Pray about it. Get into God's word and see where God guides you in your stewardship, in your financial gifts, in your use of what he has given you. A couple scriptures come to mind for me about this. The first one is from Proverbs 15. Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. So we get advice from scripture, we get advice from Christian friends as well. And then from Proverbs 3, and I would ask you to join with me in saying this text, this biblical text out loud. Please join with me. Honor the Lord with your possessions and with the first fruits of all your increase, so your hearts will be filled with plenty and your baths will overflow with new wine. Now, when that text was read in Lodi, California, where we were from, that's wine country, they loved that text. That's overflowing with wine. But this text brings to us that we're called to honor God with our possessions, honor God with our resources, glorify him with what he's blessed us with. And so many of you are doing it in so many ways. Thank you. Thank you for growing the kingdom through the stewardship of your financial gifts. So I would like to share that being a good steward is also being a good use of your financial gifts when we honor God with our possessions. And as we consider this sermon theme we're in, this overall sermon theme Pastor Brian has shared with us, blessed to be a blessing, we need to consider this financial blessing that most of us have to some degree or another. Now, I've been in countries such as Dan was speaking of. I've been on the African continent where if they're earning a dollar a day, they're like, yes. And I'm there ready to just give all I have because a dollar a day, really? You're happy? But so many people that Sarah and I encountered during our mission trip years knew God. It wasn't about the dollar a day. It was about knowing God. They were getting by oftentimes on a dollar a day. But they got to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. So I've never seen poor people, in, in particular in Uganda that we went to, that were happier simply because they knew God. They had a roof over the head. They were using the, well, not a porta potty they were using a uh, hole in the ground. But they were happy. They were joyful because they knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. And they were being good stewards with what they had. Even from my perspective, they had very little. 
but they were being good stewards. So they were blessed to be a blessing to others. My prayer is that as you again examine your financial resources, look at how God can be glorified through that examination. I want to pick up the pace now and cover some more of the highlights from our focus text, particularly now the throne. Let's look at verse 17. Then the king made a great throne covered with ivory and overlaid with pure gold. Now, when I first started thinking, and this would have been years ago, about this throne that was being built, I just assumed you're building a throne for God, right? But no, this was just for the palace in, uh, in Lebanon. The, it wasn't anything necessarily for God to be seated on. It was for man. But this throne in the palace of the forest of Lebanon is repeated again in 1 Kings chapter 10, verse 19. We have this additional description. The throne had six steps, and its back had a rounded top. On both sides of the seat were armrests, with a lion standing beside each of them. Now let's jump into the next one, the lion. Many of you who enjoy reading the Bible know the lion is mentioned many times as a natural symbol even today to show power and to show strength. The use of the lion and the number of them reminds us as well of the 12 tribes of Israel. 12 lions stood on the six steps, one at either end of each step, the scripture tells us. And many of you know that the primary symbol of the tribe of Judah, one of the 12 tribes, is the lion. And the tribes of Judah, or excuse me, the 12 tribes were developed because Jacob had 12 sons. Jacob, who ended up becoming known as Israel. So he had 12 sons, Judah being one of them. He was the fourth son of Jacob. So we have the tribe of Judah because of that naming there. And arguably, and you can argue with me about this if you want, I believe this is the most important tribe. This is the tribe of the monarchy. This is the tribe of the rulers. This is the tribe that David came from, that Solomon came from, and that the king of kings, Jesus Christ, descended from. So I highlight this tribe, this tribe of Judah, as, as a, one to be lifted up. So these 12 lions, these lions on the throne, are very important, especially with the tribe of Judah being that descriptor of the lion. Some people want to consider this as well, that Judah, the tribe of Judah was so important that the Israelites in modern time are known through it. Judah, Jew. Judah, Judaism. So we have a modern connection to that tribe of Judah as well. In Revelation chapter 5, the lion and the lamb both refer to Jesus the Christ. He is both the conquering lion of the tribe of Judah and the lamb who was slain for you, for me, and for all of humanity. All right, let's move forward and look at ships, apes, and baboons. Now, I can put money on this. You've never had a pastor say, let's look at ships, apes, and baboons. I know Brian liked to look at that mule the, uh, some time ago, but... But ships, ape, and baboons. Verse 21 from our focus text. The king had a fleet of trading ships manned by Hiram's servants. Once every three years it returned, carrying gold, silver, and ivory, and apes and baboons. Where did Solomon send his ships? To Tarshish. In 1 Kings chapter 10, we have an almost identical verse. 
For the king had a fleet of ships of Tarshish at sea with the fleet of Hiram. Once every three years, the fleet of ships of Tarshish used to come bringing gold, silver, ivory, apes, and peacocks. They threw in peacocks too, but no baboons. I don't know how peacocks and baboons intermingle, but scripture is scripture. We go with it. But we have this understanding of Tarshish. But where is Tarshish? As you see up on the map in back of up on the map in back of me, you can understand where it is from Jerusalem, right? We have Jerusalem and Tarshish. It's approximately 2,500 miles by sea. It's a long ways, even today, let alone 2,000 plus years ago that they traveled this on ship. It's also mentioned Tarshish about 25 times in the Bible. And it's highlighted in the book of Jonah. You re may remember that he was on his way there before he got thrown overboard and got swallowed up by something. But our focus text, we know King Solomon sent ships there every three years. I was wondering, why every three years? Again, the distance was mentioned by some theologians. To get there and back took a long time but also to gather all of this gold, all of these animals, all of this wealth took time as well. It's not like it just sat at the dock and they loaded it up every time a ship came in. They had to gather it together. So about every three years, this great deal of gold, precious materials, apes and baboons would come back to Solomon. I could find no biblical clarity regarding King Solomon wanting apes and baboons, nothing. And I searched, and some of the theologians out there making guesses were way out there, way out there. Uh, I won't even go there because they were way out there. But if you know why Solomon wanted apes and baboons, when we're having cake afterwards to celebrate the sixth anniversary of faith, you come and tell me about that because I'd love to learn. Let's hit another key word in our focus text as we think about King Solomon and his wealth. He also had wisdom. That's what King Solomon is highlighted as by many people. Jeff actually shared King Solomon being wise. Verses 22 and 24, King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. All the kings of the earth saw audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. Year after year, everyone came brought a gift, articles of silver and gold and robes and weapons and spices and horses and mules. There go those mules again. Anyways, Solomon was blessed by God with wisdom. It's not as if he all of a sudden had this great gift and imparted it, but God continued to bless him so he could grow to be even wiser, to be able to counsel others, in particular others outside of the people of Israel, the Jews of that day, per se. God had increased his blessings so many times. Again, can you imagine getting 666 talents of gold sort of as your annual uh, pay, but then everybody that came to see you, kings, rulers, would bring you more stuff. The people beyond King Solomon must have lived luxuriously in that time and in that space. God's word clearly informs us that all the kings of the earth sought the wisdom of Solomon. 
And I love how it says that, all the kings of the earth. And I think that's important for us to note as well. Because eventually we have the king of kings being Jesus Christ. He was, yes, man, but also divine. But what is wisdom? The world knows wisdom as an ability to discern inner qualities and relationships, insight. Now Webster defines it in that fashion, and I think it's pretty good. Not a bad understanding of the word of wisdom. Discernment, inner qualities, not outward appearances. It talks about relationships. So important to have relationships. That's why like groups are so important. Insight, thinking, contemplating before jumping in. I was in ministry in Florida for a while, in South Florida, and sometimes I tend to talk fast. And one of the individuals there was from Georgia, and he spoke so slowly that it annoyed me <laughs> at times. And I, I had to ask, because I wasn't culturally aware, how is it that you speak so slowly? I think before I talk. Wow. That was like a slap in the face. <laughs> but in this context, this wisdom context, this understanding of wisdom in the world, we also have a biblical understanding of wisdom. It's coming up on the screen. It's understood as a capacity of the mind that allows us to understand life from God's perspective. Once we begin to shift into understanding life from God's perspective, our lives change, sometimes drastically. Sometimes we do things in life that we never imagined a decade ago we'd be doing. Maybe it's starting up the ministry like you guys have done. Starting up faith, as many of you participated in the beginning of it. Sometimes when we put our mind and our perspective in understanding God and his desires, things shift for us. I'm a user of the NIV, the New International Version Bible, and so oftentimes I love their study Bible. If you have a chance, utilize it. They have some great footnotes, some information that helps build up what you've just read. And when I looked at the International Version and the study Bible, it had some great points and I'm gonna share four concluding points about wisdom. First, fear God. From the book of Proverbs and from King Solomon too, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we aren't talking about a fear of the Lord, ah, like that, we're talking about reverence. We're talking about holiness. We're talking about connecting with God as the king of kings, fearing God should be known as something positive, not something negative. Philip Melanchthon, who was known uh, to a point as Martin Luther's lieutenant, wrote about this and about how we are called to fear and to love God. And he talked about the contrasting uh, fear, uh, philia and servly fear. Philia, fear is the type of respect and love a child has for a parent, a fear of offending the one they most adore and trust. In contrast, certainly is fear of the kind that a prisoner has for a jailer or an executioner. I think we should be the first. 
We should be in that, that uh, respect and love. As we are all children of God, we should be in awe of God in respect of him. The fear of God is one, again, of reverence, one of awe that we can all have. Next, desire wisdom. The second step to getting wisdom is to desire it with all our heart. As King Solomon said, look for it as for silver and search for it as for hidden treasure. Seek out wisdom. Oftentimes, wisdom is sitting next to you. Your wife will tell you that. No, I'm joking. I'm sorry. Oftentimes, wisdom is near you. You just have to open yourself up to it. Yes, wisdom in Scripture. But there are wise people in your life that you need to listen to. So always have an open ear. Number three, pray for wisdom. James chapter 1 shares this in verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. So if you believe that you're challenged in this area, talking to God, asking for that gift, that blessing of wisdom is a good thing. Lastly, number four, study God's word. The fourth step, the ability to gain wisdom, studying and meditating on God's word. Psalm 19 verse seven shares, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. And I'm a very simple person, but through wisdom given by God and his word, I can grow in a deeper relationship with him and others that seek that same relationship. So we shouldn't merely rely on our own understanding, but lean into the wisdom that we find in scripture and also other Christians. Here's a practical takeaway regarding wisdom. To get wisdom, we must fear God. We must study his word and prayerfully desire to understand life from his perspective. And connecting finance to this is very basic. We have to be wise in using our financial gifts. We can't just, oh, I've got a lot, so spend a lot. Uh, there's a guy out there, Dave Ramsey, some of you may know of him. He's like a finance 101. Spend less than you make. Wow, that's so deep. But the world doesn't do that, does it? The average credit card debt, I believe, and maybe Jeff knows this, exceeds $9,000 per household across America. And it's rising, not going down. We can use our financial gifts to glorify God in a very wise way. And wisdom helps us understand our finances. The finances we have in our family, in our workplace, in the community, and in the church as well. God has beautifully blessed us to be a blessing in order that all of us, differing levels of gifts in so many areas, can be strong stewards, especially regarding our finances. And having wisdom, having a biblical understanding of wisdom and finances is so important. Let me pray about all that right now. So if you'd bow your head in a time of prayer, God, you blessed King Solomon greatly during his 40-year reign with wealth and wisdom. And God, he was respected and gifted financially because of your gift of wisdom upon him. 
may we also be wise. Wise readers and doers of your word. Wise with all our gifts, especially our financial gift. And Lord, may we remain wise stewards of all you have entrusted with us. Lord, in your mercy.